Hello, Podwalkers, and welcome back to a part three. It has been a very long time since we have had a guest so just amazing and prolific that they have given us content for our entire month, basically. We normally, because we did our 40th year anniversary, Alex and I talked about we do hit about 75% of weeks. Uh, you know, Our goal is always 100%, but we, uh, we aim for it. We don't have should statements around it anymore. And so we uh, are lucky enough to be back with a part three with Spice 8-Rack. Um, yeah, welcome back, Spice. Wow, uh, it's it's oh, as I said last time, it's been a whole series of minutes since last <laughs> we spoke, and uh, again, seconds too long. As I, I didn't even get my damn it, I didn't even get my quote right. See, this is the problem. That's why you. That's why you can't copyright it or add it to your brand, is you're just not going to remember. Exactly, you're quite correct. It yeah. would be a waste of money. But Spice is back, and uh, yeah, we, in the meantime, we all uh, used the restroom. We talked to people that we might need to to make sure we could put off plans, and we are coming back for finally the mailbag portion of the episode. Thanks, because thanks, I got a bunch of letting everybody know that, uh, <laughs> that I did I did a big wee between yeah. now <laughs> and now. Last time I think I last time I made a cuppa, this time it was the the wee, and um, yeah, that's you know like. <laughs> It's, I did mention on the last episode uh, the idea of pissing on the third rail, so we are still on brand and topic. Sweet. I love this. This is the running <laughs> thing. It's goblins. It's communism. It's piss. Let's go. <laughs> so let's do our first couple of just quick uh, beginning of the uh, episode notes to get them out of the way. Uh, Spice is probably like, I know these by heart now. I am never going to purchase anything that these group might uh, want for sponsors or to uh, advertise because I've had to listen to this spiel three times. <laughs> But we're going to thank Grinding Coffee Company, the LGBT minority-led coffee company that has just been fantastic to work with for us. Um, we do a lot of the charity events. Um, we mentioned that kind of in week one, if, we're, if you're now listening to these in actual chronological order and not us recording them. Uh, we, have, we had finished off a, uh, another charity event that the, the cast was involved in. And as soon as I reached out to Grinding Coffee Company for like the third time in three months, they just jumped up and said, yes, what do you need um, offering us those? And so we just love working with them. Uh, so we also want to notice that you, if you want a quiver, we uh, now have Goblin Lore. It's a, it's under me, but it's a, the Goblin Lore. You can use that at checkout to get a deal on your my favorite uh, way to display your Goblin Lore sticker. And uh, I'm Hobbs Q. Uh, I realize at this point we're getting a little punchy and not even properly introducing anything. So if you're a new person, I guess part three wouldn't be the best place to jump in anyway, but I will still let you know I am Hobbs Q, he, him, uh, and I will throw it over to my co-host, Alex. Yeah, I'm, I'm Alex. Uh, Alex and me found on Twitter at Mel underscore Chronicler. Uh, my pronouns are also he, him. Um, and I just quick shout out to the Fireside Alliance. Uh, it's it's a community that we, uh, the Goblin Lore Podcast, we are a part of. Um, they're a, a progressive community of, of progressive communities, a lot of different content creators who have their own little little communities, little pockets throughout uh, out in the internet and decided uh, a couple years ago that it would be nice to have sort of a shared space for, for all of them to, to kind of come together and build something a, a little bit bigger than each of the individual little siloed communities. So there's a Discord server um, as part of the Fireside Alliance, everyone is welcome to join it. Uh, we uh, approached them about about joining the community. We thought that it would be a good fit, and they were gracious enough to bring us in as a as a partner in this this community. Um, we're the only magic content creators, but there's a lot of great podcasts and, and other sorts of content just around all sorts of nerd topics of, of movies and shows and such. Uh, if that's something you're interested in, please check them out. 
Great. So we, uh, we've now talked, um, as, as Spice was nice enough to tell us, we've talked about communism. We've talked about pissing on the third rail. We've talked goblins. Um, we've talked story design, uh, story space for goblins, and just story space in general for wizards. Part three, we get to do mailbag. Um, we're hoping, yeah, we, we have some interesting questions here. Uh, we got some that are a little more serious, some that people want to get to know Spice a little bit better, and we're going to find out how much uh, Spice is willing to talk about. Um, so in the in the continued vein of me being the worst host of all times when it comes to how we treat our guests, I am going to introduce Spice and let you come up with a third intro question because you got to do the work around here. That's how goblins function. Sweet, excellent. I already I already had one planned because I knew <laughs> that this this tomfoolery. This uh, uh, chicanery uh, was going to continue. Absolutely, um, beating the beat. The beatings were going to continue until morale improves. <laughs> Brilliant. Hello, everybody. My name is Spice Aprak. Uh, my pronouns are it's and him. Uh, and I oh, love me a little goblin. Love me a little goblin. Love love this little eyes, little little funny smiles. Oh, big fan of them. Um, and I love talking about them. I make YouTube videos as well. But if you're listening to part three. Why Why would you need to know who I am if you're listening to part three <laughs> out of order? You we don't, don't. You, you know, we don't know how people are going to find their way here. That's very <laughs> who, fair. Who knows? That's very fair. All right. Well, okay. I do have my question. And I I didn't anticipate we were going to be doing a part three. I thought we were going to be like, oh, part one, part two, let's do an inverse. But unfortunately, when you do question A and then question B is the inverse of question A, question C has to be something completely different. My question is, which artist draws the best goblins? Which artist, just artist in magic, which artist in magic do you think captures that goblin feel the best? Because I know, I know what mine is, absolutely. And I can even say specifically what piece of art I think is the most, is the best piece of goblin art. Um, for me, it is Wayne Reynolds. Now, Wayne Reynolds was... Damn it! Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> I finally was ready to go! <laughs> yeah, you just, oh, you're going to have me ask the question, and then, oh, I guess I'll just have to answer it quickly. Yeah, I know something. I know I know what I'm about. Wayne Reynolds, beautiful goblin artist. Um, genuinely phenomenal. The angles, the sharpness in all of his pieces, the lighting that he uses is phenomenal, the feeling of motion in everything. It's incredible uh wayne has been producing art that has goblins in it since in fact let me just quickly double check that because i don't want to say something incorrect um scryfall actually has a wonderful art tagger um where you can oh wow so wayne reynolds has drawn 35 pieces of art allegedly uh that have goblins in it um and the uh the oldest one being actually from um uh original ravnica um, but uh, I think from my perspective, the piece of art that really sells goblins and really like catches it the best is his interpretation of Goblin Sharpshooter. Uh, for those who don't know, Goblin Sharpshooter originally was printed in Onslaught and it just had, uh, I think it was by Greg Staples, and it had, you know, a little tin hat on and one of those old timey sort of like World War One crank handle um, machine guns on it, sort of a, a, a Gatling gun. And, you know, it's a fine piece of art. It looks very silly seeing a goblin with a, a big gun like that. Um, but Wayne Reynolds' interpretation of Goblin Sharpshooter, rather than that, has a goblin holding uh, a multi-scoped... Like, imagine 
a high-tech sniper rifle with multiple scopes on it, all kinds of gizmos to ensure accuracy, uh, different like levels of scope. You know, you've got iron sights, you've got normal scopes, you've got scopes on top of those scopes. And at the end of the gun, instead of a barrel, you have a massive hammer with a spring on it. Uh, and the goblin is standing, aiming down the sights directly at the, uh, the back of the head of a human that doesn't realize that there's a goblin behind him. That to me is the, the perfect piece of goblin art by Wayne Reynolds. That's my perspective. So, Hobbs, do you need a, a moment to think? Because I, I have. Oh an God, no! I was ranting with the the the. Uh, I put the mute on so that it wouldn't come across. Um, <laughs> because, like, I, I, I really was Wayne Reynolds. So, I, if people somehow, for the love of God, do not know, I have a all artist proof um, Goblin deck. So it is an EDH deck that is a hundred artist proofs, um, and and some tokens. So there was like a lot of directions to go here because I have some, some magic artists that I just really like Wayne is, is obviously kind of high up on the list. Um, yeah. I'm going to give some shout outs. Cause one, it not done a ton of goblin art, but uh, it is one of our favorite cards on here. The flavor text and the artist is uh, we're going to throw out some more shouts to the UK uh, like Wayne Reynolds in looking at Carl Critchlow um, mm. who does uh, goblin offensive with the flavor text <laughs> of they sure are. Um, so I love that card, but it, you know, he, uh, Carl hasn't done a ton of goblins. I am still going to go with somebody who it's kind of cheating, um, which is very on brand for uh, this show. Jeff Laubenstein, who is a guest on the show, actually did a ton of goblins um, early on. Uh, more things like Goblin Festival and Incendiary, where they were they were like groups of goblins in kind of ba in in cards that weren't specifically like a goblin card. Well. The cheating part comes in is because we had Jeff on the show. And one of the things that Jeff did during this pandemic was doing a goblin token a day, taking people's photos and goblinizing them. And he would he would go through like people's feeds and not even tell some like you could you could like submit and he might get to you. He might not. He would also look through and find people's photos that he that really liked. And I am fortunate enough to have both my daughter and I done in the form of Jeff's goblins as part of that project. And he talked about it on the show, just kind of like wanting, I think Spice, you were talking about this a little bit in a previous uh, episode, the, the, the joy, the happiness, just almost like the kind of the, 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 that piece. And I said the whimsy of goblins and it was really mm -hmm. kind of trying to bring that to Twitter every day. It just started as kind of, we talked about like with Paddington where um, Jeff Palmer, who Jeffrey Palmer, who was just on the show, is now doing a like Paddington in a magic art a day. Yeah, and that, that rocks. It does rock. And Jeff kind of started out the same way. He just was like doing, doing these goblin tokens as a way to like, you know, in, during the pandemic and then saw that people had this positive reaction and it seemed to be putting something out there of joy during the pandemic and continued it um, for, for quite a while. I don't remember where the final number ended. Um, so I, I, it's, it, it is, I like what he has done on magic art. Um, he also did altar sleeves in the Zbex um, one that was Spice Rack also did with Titus did some uh, sleeves, but uh, yes, you did. And he did a version of uh, um, of Grenzo with like tattoos on his fingers where he really, <laughs> and he also did a, a, like a mob boss. He did Krenko with like the whole really like a dapper suit. So he has just done some amazing goblins, even if they're not specific cards. That's a very fair answer. I'm going to continue the uh, the theme of cheating, um, and actually, in part, like this is a, a thing that that 
Spice may not be familiar with, but generally when we do opening questions, a lot of times I'll think up the question and then not answer that question. I'll answer a different question and sort of shoehorn it in. So uh-huh. Pat, I, this is my first opportunity. It really it, Spice, it is, a, it is amazing when Alex does this after Alex is literally the person who came up with the question. So oh, yeah. I have to think of an answer and or guess to. And then Alex goes, well, actually, this is what I really wanted to answer. Amazing. So so I'm going to to answer uh, uh, Mike Birek, who has, according to uh, Scryfall, illustrated exactly one goblin card. And that's not even what I'm going to talk about. I'm going to talk about the goblin token that Mike uh, illustrated. Oh, that's fair. <laughs> From that's, that's, fair. that's very fair. Because this is... Like I, 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 I don't know. In the last week or two, time is weird. I can't remember exactly when. At some point, people were talking about like what what their like the best goblins were. Like because as we mentioned in the in the last episode, we talked about there's a lot of different representations. Spice, you you're the one who brought this up. Goblins have so many different representations and so many different planes. Just even physically, yeah. um, way more than than any other creature type in Magic. And absolutely, hands down, my favorite are the Tarkir goblins who are the, the little miniature yetis. Mm-hmm. And ah, uh, yes. Our like, buddy on goblin slide. Oh yes. And, but I think like, and, and that's a great art. Uh, I think that's Kev Walker, but like this particular goblin token by uh, Mike, I believe Beerbeck is, is a B I E R E K. I think would be how you pronounce that, but this is probably like the cleanest straight representation of that, um, that version. I mean, there, there's a lot of other goblins, in Tarkir that are are similarly like furred and things, but it's a lot darker colors for some of it. Like Mardu Scout by Zoltan Boros looks great. It's this goblin surfing down the sand. But like these are, this goblin token is the pure white looking like the Yeti. But I love this little tiny Yetis because that's goblins. They're little. So that's, that's good. Man, I didn't say Boros and that was also on my short list because also did Ankle Shanker. Oh, um, yeah. And also um, did Conspicuous Snoop with, like, and the nose pressed up against the window brilliant. and, like, yeah. the play on Snow White. Uh, did Mizzix's Judge promo. So, mm-hmm. yeah. My yeah, real, my answer for card art, I'm going to go with Boros. Boros did two different arts for Hordling Outburst, the promo and the, the pack. Yeah. And yeah. Them are great. It's, yeah. That was, that was a thought for me, but the, I got to go with my Yetis. Alex and I get this episode pretty easily. I'm sure we'll have something to say. But we asked for questions that people might want to ask our guests. Because people, we, 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 we made some vague allusions to who was being on here that nobody could figure <laughs> out. But people came up with questions that still somehow are relevant. Um, we're going to just start it off pretty simply. At Hudnall56 wants to know, which plane would be the perfect setting for a goblin-centered comic book? So taking this to a different medium. And I don't know your you know, your knowledge of uh, comics or your interest in them, so... I'm, I'm reasonably interested in comics. Uh, I'm more of a graphic novel person per se than a comic, although, like, I do have a few... I mean, some of the graphic novels on my shelves are, like, comic collections compiled into graphic novels. Yeah, um, that's fair, too. We get, you know, we get a Sandman series with goblins or something would be okay. Yeah, I'd be okay sure. with that. Uh, I mean, I've also got, like, um, Blackest Night and stuff like that, um, which I'm pretty sure is a... a, a comic series um anyway um it's difficult i think you i think ravnica might be the best simply because it has as i think you said a lot of the times it has a very large diversity of goblins on the plane 
And there's a level of sentience and of motive there that I don't think the, whilst I would say that there are certainly more so like physical diversity on the plane of Lorwyn, um, for example, I think that the diversity of uh, thought, as it were, of motive and of, and of allegiance on Ravnica, I think would lend itself better to um, a comic book series. Um, I mean, you know, you'd have, how many like goblins do we have on Ravnica that still survive? I'm pretty sure both of the Shatter Gangs are dead. So that's a nonsense. Uh, there was three. So what we have is the story is the two, I believe, are still alive, which is the one dead. No, so there, there were three. Then one got killed, and that was the inciting incident for that narrative. And then ah. I think another one actually got another one got killed in the narrative. So maybe one of them does survive. Okay. Okay. Um, but like, if we, um... but that's a place even right there. I mean, that, that story, you know, the the rival gangs or or whatever you mob families, if you yes, want to say that, sure. between Shatter Gang and Cranko, like that's a great setting. You got you've still got Shatter Gangs, you've got Cranko, you've got um Mizix. Yeah. Uh that I don't know if there are many goblins that are a part of the rack. Oh yeah, no, there are there are murder clowns. Um so uh you know you could you would have a reasonable enough level of conflict, and I think that would be a comic series that I think would maybe reignite people's interest in the literally the small stories of these planes by like, you know, literally the the opening quote unquote shot of the comic is, I don't know, two planeswalkers duking it out and you've got narration something along the lines of in Ravnica whenever uh whenever uh, plane uh, now that everyone knows that planeswalkers exist, whenever they turn up on the plane, their uh conflicts are a source of spectacle. You've got people, you know, uh taking pictures of them or like commenting <laughs> on big bets. And then the camera like pans down to a bunch of goblins stealing people's wallets whilst everyone's distracted. And then but the real story of Ravnica has always been that of the goblins. And then, and then, like you go, there are planeswalkers. Maybe they'll get involved. We're really going to be talking about goblins, and then we can shift it on to, you know, you've got Krenko who's running some kind of uh, uh, like uh, a bit to steal people's wallets during these kind of things. Maybe Krenko's paying off one of these planeswalkers in some way or another to like uh, to like to uh, which will fabricate these conflicts. And then you know they're working with Mizics or fighting against Mizics. You know, stuff like that would be, I think, would be a really interesting. Uh, a place to explore a smaller narrative. It's even interesting. You've already, you brought up a plane that we have met multiple legendary goblins, which in some ways does lend itself to a comic book series, right? Yeah. Um, and this also from last episode brings us a really good opportunity to bring in our Boros uh, goblin legend, right? Mm -hmm. Because it's, it's, I think that is a narrative we, we, we didn't, I mean, we haven't talked a ton about this. I don't even know where it would have come in. It did a little bit with the Boros, but having a goblin who is part of a legion or, you know, part yeah. of the like soldier class mm. is very different. And if that little recruit has risen to the level of becoming a legend. You've got so many different angles you could go with. I mean, you've got, you know, like the goblin trying to prove that, you know, uh, you know, like being almost like a pick me goblin. I'm not like other goblins. See, I'm going to prove to the Boros that I'm better than quote unquote normal goblins by taking down Krenko. You've got, like, you know, like goblins who don't necessarily fit in with, like, maybe a concept of like a nervous goblin who wants to be part of the Rakdos but keeps getting teased by the imps and devils and stuff like that and ends up like falling in with like the Grawl. You know, you could have so many different topic of allegiances in this world. And and you when you talk about you know the the, the planeswalkers and maybe there's people like trying to take selfies or whatever the you know the yeah. magic Ravnica equivalent is drawing really quick me, sketches. Well, yeah, but it, it it reminded me like of of probably one of my favorite just 
common-ish, well, I guess it's an uncommon, but just little sort of throwaway cards just fill in a set, but it builds flavor and is a great representation for a goblin from Battle Bond is Cheering Fanatic. Mm. This goblin who's cosplaying as his favorite, like, you know, person in the in these fights and this the, the battle bond duels or whatever they I, I can't remember mm. exactly call them. And so it's like I love the idea of maybe you have like these you know, goblins who are fat. You know, if you have planeswalkers that operate as sort of celebrities in some ways, you could have you know these fanatical fans who who mm. goblins could fit into that uh, narrative as well. I like I like the idea of like a little Grawl Domri fan club run by a couple of goblins. That sounds delightful. Oh yeah. Uh, but yeah, that would be my answer to that question. Rav, I mean, Rav, the issue is that Ravnica in of itself has so much potential, and I think that exploring it in a medium outside of a set is really where Wizards needs to go if they want to keep sort of plugging that IP without you know getting people tired of it. Uh, it's, it we will have to return back to Ravnica in like maybe like five or six years we can't go back at any time before then please please if at least not in main story like just please um okay at noir underscore fake would like to know and ask you specifically spice what happened with glob the strixhaven goblin i didn't know the strixhaven goblin had a name so if people do not know uh, i believe this is the only goblin we do get to see we have a school world with like every imaginable race getting to go to it, except the goblin who is listed as a reject. Yes. Um, so hang on, let me just quickly, because it, it's the, the character's name was Glomp. That was my character's name. But the, char- the character in, um, I don't know if this uh, person is referring to, um, uh, I think it's Denied Entry of the card. Let me just. Oh, yes. Um, yep. What was it? it uh, actually, that's just reject, right? It's just reject. Oh, it's, and that's Grux. That's Grux, yes, I guess. So oh, so Grux see, I thought we were talking about Grux. So no, so Grux, I mean, Grux the Goblin is literally just uh, the, the, the like, narrowest, like, fishing line thin straw by which I was clutching on to force uh, a Goblin character into the, um, into the... Uh, plane? Into the plane. Yes. I mean, it, <laughs> goblin from... The looks of things, Grux is a pretty goblin name. It doesn't look like any of the other, like it doesn't look like any of the dwarves on the plane. No, like, you know, it, it's a goblin anyway. It, yeah, um, it clearly is a goblin who just keeps saying you don't. You have to do, and I do like once again. We get this is where the whimsy. We get the flavor text, Grux for the last time. You have to do more than simply shout apply at the administrators. Yeah, you know, like the, the Michael Scott version of yelling, just I declare bankruptcy. Um, <laughs> I declare bankruptcy. <laughs> like, yeah, like the but it, that was what we saw. So I did not know about so said that I so I did not see that video. So yeah, so that was a your so character then. It was a part of a D and D campaign that I was running, and I think that. I unfortunately, I think I became sick um, the last few days it was supposed to run, and I just couldn't make it. Or I think I was out of the out of town for one or more reasons. But anyway, like the arc that was supposed to be happening, or the arc that I had envisioned happening with Glomp, who was my character, was there was a bitter bitter rivalry between me and this prissy stuck up actor type, and I was trying to like take that character down a notch. And I think the arc that I was going to eventually get to was um, either defeating my sort of narrative rival or, and this would have been completely borne out in the role play and depending on sort of how it felt, like the most satisfying angle that the role play could have gone in that moment. Because obviously, you know, if you're doing if you're doing an RPG as part of a stream, 
it's all about performance and it's all about uh narrative building and not just you know your own personal uh like uh idea for what you want your character to do you've got to really consider narrative um i think for that it was it was either going to be completely best my narrative rival and becomes like the new head of theater in the school or in some fittingly dramatic moment realize that actually we're not so different you and i you know that kind of stuff and be like okay we'll put this petty rivalry behind us so that we can resolve the larger conflict at school and then who knows maybe even uh, develop a burgeoning uh, friendly competition between our art forms so um glad that was the arc for glomp okay um, that, that's what i had envisioned so we didn't have to let anybody know that was following that, that, that maybe, I guess it was a cliffhanger since, since you had to step uh, out. Yeah, unfortunately, unfortunately, it was a very, like, I didn't, I just one day I was there and the next day I, I didn't turn up to any of them, yeah. which was very, um, very sad. So that's my, that's, that's my, that's my fault, unfortunately. So I'm going to get serious for a second, or at least more serious than we had been. Um, I, I, I did get asked a question about if you're comfortable, like I said, that's why I said your pronouns. Um, wanting to know how you came to the pronoun it him and if that oh, is way too long of one i understand but no, no, that was asked right. i think like um now i've had a i had a a comment of mine asked me about that and i think i'll give the sort of short answer because i'm you know i'm still doing a lot of, sort of like uh reading around i'm, I'm reading xeno feminism like helen hester and sort of coming around to the idea of you know um, technomaterialism and the like uh but i think for me from a purely superficial basis I had always considered myself to be a cis person. Um, I had, uh, you know, I had uh, a whole ton of sort of like um, uh, non-binary and trans friends. Um, and I would regularly sort of check in with myself, like, how am I feeling about gender? And sort of like trying out different pronouns for myself. How does that feel? And all of the time I was like, eh, none of them really work. So I just stick, stuck with he and him. I met two friends who um, went by it and its pronouns. And that was the first time I'd ever met anybody who used those pronouns. Up until that point, I thought, like, no one uses that. It's incredibly dehumanizing. Why would anyone, like, you know, it, you know, it's a, it's a parody of people who use pronouns to think, that, oh, I'll just identify as it. You know, that kind of, like, hyper-reactionary, didn't actually understand, didn't know that people actually used them. And then when I met uh, these people and started like having a conversation with them and I started using the pronoun for myself, I realized two things. First off, I realized that it was a pronoun that for the first time I actually identified with it. And in doing that, I also realized that I didn't actually truly that heavily identify with he and him. It, had, it was simply the pronouns that had always been used for me. And it was only until I came across that pronoun and started using it for myself that I realized, huh, something's clicking here that wasn't before. And nothing has actually clicked before. The only reason why I wasn't going by they or them, or she or her, or anything like that, or any other neo pronoun, um, was because it's like it was because it didn't click with me, and because he and him had just been the baseline. And then it clicking with me, suddenly I realised that the, the only thing that he and him was really holding on to me for was was the fact that it had been my baseline. It was just the norm. Um, that's sort of like you know, uh, almost going back to like the Gramscian idea of the default. Yeah, very much so. So, yeah, on a very basic, I, I won't get into like um, more philosophical stuff because that's still an exploration of uh, myself and I'm still coming to terms with that and sort of going through that. But that's sort of the, the, the hyper superficial someone. I just started using it and oh, it works. Bada bing, bada boom. 
and that's uh, so, so, so thank you because I just you know I, it is a pronoun that um, I've seen rarely compared to others, and so you know it it was using it was um, you know at first I I was you know, even compared to other neo pronouns or things that I've used felt a little bit off, and so um, seeing that discussion is is something that's been very uh, illuminating for me. I think yeah from uh, from from my perspective I'm uh, it very much feels very normal and natural and i think it comes to i think it like it, it reaches a nice middle ground between my own personal only view of gender but also person like view of selfhood um in the you know uh, the idea the idea of self in of it in of itself um is uh rooted in sort of the uh this uh what do you call it um sorry i'm stumbling over my words but the the long and short of it is that even the idea of self is just a uh, a figment of a series of uh, electronic and sensory inputs into a very complicated bio machine, um, and I think that coming to terms with that in a in of myself and realizing that what I view as reality and what I view as myself is simply like mechanical processes, I feel that it links very heavily into that, and I think that it makes me a lot more comfortable with that sort of understanding and that realization um, as opposed to. Uh, continuing on what I would perceive as sort of a, an incorrect perception of what what the self even is, uh, but I'm not going to get any more deep into philosophy. <laughs> we're talking about funky goblins. Well, we are. I, 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 I'm bookending. I'm doing a, what's the sandwich method, where we kind of start out a little silly goblins. You know, your character, the plane, doing a little bit of personal, and then I I I I, I had a plan. It's going <laughs> to fall apart at some point, but I had one. Or explode, um, which might also be part of the plan. Right. It's hard to tell. Right. Like, uh, yeah, I, I mean, I very much consider myself personally an is it goblin. Like, if I'm having to choose kind of an area, it's going to blow up. But that was the plan or it became the plan. Mm -hmm. um, <laughs> so we're going to continue with that vein real quick with just questions of just more of a motivation, I guess, for you. And we talked about this with storytelling way back in episode one, that long time ago. Years uh, ago, it must have been. It feels like it, of uh, motivation. But what got you into making YouTube long format videos like that? And then similarly, kind of what's the inspiration for doing kind of the MTG crossovers? So um, it's actually incredibly boring. I did it. Yes, um, great. I, I, That's perfect. Uh, <laughs> let's move uh, on. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> <laughs> no, so um, I I started making YouTube videos not out of any kind of um, not any kind of like a necessary passion. I did it um, so that I so like tell tell a bit of backstory. I um, when I graduated from my undergrad, I went on to do a master's in transnational writing. I developed pedagogy to teach spoken word uh, poetry at university level. Funnily enough, not many places were hiring for that. So I ended up bussing tables at a seafood restaurant, um, as well as other gigs, um, like doing, you know, contracting, uh, running uh, bar work, retail, all that kind of stuff. You know? And my my brain was melting and I wanted an out. And there's a uh, there's a games journalism place called PC Games M, uh, whose offices run out of my um, the city that I'm in, Bath. And I'd applied for them previously and they got back to me saying like, you know, love the application, but unfortunately you don't have any kind of like showreel of work to send to us. So, you know, we can't like hire you for something. You need to show that, you know, you can edit, you can be in front of a camera, stuff like that. And so I started making YouTube videos to, uh, to create a sizzle reel to send off to prospective employers like that so I could get out of, get out of this job. 
Um, I also like I chose Magic the Gathering and I also chose like sort of left-wing politics because those were the two things that I would a felt comfortable talking about like I had some kind of an understanding of it um, but also because I really like Magic the Gathering and I, I kind of noticed that there wasn't many people talking about how flavor and gameplay intersected lots of people talking about lore and flavor lots of people talking about gameplay not so much how the two connected um and so i thought eh, that's a niche i'll throw myself in there i also love goblins and then the goblins video that i made uh massively blew up and uh suddenly it became a very like over the course of a week i went from maybe like 200 subscribers which was hundreds more than I thought I was going to get within, you know, a couple of months of making videos um, to like well over a few thousand. And uh, I left the, um, I left the, uh, the seafood restaurant job. I managed to use a couple of those videos to send to another editing place to get like a, a job, like working out of an office, doing like search engine optimization for a while. And all that time, I then eventually made the jump to make YouTube full time, sort of like in, uh, in the uh, early autumn of that year. And in fact, I think the Yorgmoth video that I released was the first video that I released that I was like, okay, this is a full-time thing. Let's treat it somewhat seriously. Um, so yeah, like that's how I started getting into videos. And the I guess the intersect between left-wing politics and Magic the Gathering, I think comes from a place of, I know how unfortunately easy it is. I've seen this happen many, many times for people within... Uh, sort of uh, nerd consumer circles, gaming uh, interests, uh, communities, become radicalized passively almost into holding hyper-reactionary views. Um, and so I guess that stuff came from a place of, I wanted to, uh, I wanted to try, do what I can as someone who didn't, like wasn't hoodwinked by the sort of alt-right pipeline or anything like that, to try and provide some kind of active counterweight um, and it, yeah, it's surprising how many um, how many comrades play uh, play Magic the Gathering, uh, which is delightful. And also, I've gotten many many lovely comments and emails from people being like, "Hey, this spurred me away from be it you know hyper reaction or be it um, social democracy, which is sort of hyper reaction with a, a serial number file." Um, so uh, interesting. Like, I like that description a lot. <laughs> thank you, thank you very much. Uh, what is it? Uh, was it Lenin who said that? Um, Social democracy is the moderate wing of fascism, which I uh, fully and wholeheartedly agree. Uh, agree. But anyway, um, yes. So that's that's how I started doing YouTube. B and why I'm on this podcast. And this is the funny part of it being, you know, we're at four years now of doing this content, um, mm. and this is us having you on the show. I mean, this was another reason why I am thankful that we were able to get as much time as we did, because as you said, there there isn't a lot in this this space necessarily. Um, the melthos or the social issues along with the gameplay or the social issues along with the lore and the story is much it's still at this point as long as you've been doing your videos we've been doing this it mm. is small right it's mm -hmm. not a large part of magic mm. but as in uh as into like the the discussion of sort of like flavor and lore and intersection and stuff like that yeah and also yeah. the um the left wing stuff <laughs> yeah yeah yeah, yeah. that as well you know, it's it is it is true, and I think that it's I don't know I I I find it nice because the inter like the the fact that the intersect is so narrow it does mean that uh that you can find people who want to talk about this stuff a lot easier than like you know, um mm -hmm. 
not uh, I mean, this I want to absolutely make sure that this is understood I'm not preparing anyone who like only goes in to talk about law um, or only goes in to talk about game pain and stuff like that or prices or the like I just think that it's because it's such a it's a niche within a niche magic the gathering in of itself is a niche and to talk about a niche within that a niche, a niche interest group I think it allows people to like connect a lot better and a lot easier for sure um, which is something I'm very thankful for. I'll say that's that's a thing that that we've kind of run into too. Like we do some of the mental health stuff, but also like we talk a lot about mental health. That's that's a big part of our cast and men, the conversations about mental health within magic is a thing. It's it's popping up in other places too, but it's not as common to have that is a main cornerstone as opposed to this is a conversation we have because it's important as part of a greater variety of things we do for us it's a cornerstone it's a main pillar of what we do and so we found that it's like you say it's a niche within a niche and so at least for us like our community started out very small but it's never really shrunk even when we take long breaks we come back and our numbers are right back where we were because the, the folks who are interested in that that we're about it unfortunately like at least for for this stuff that's kind of it and so we we have a good consistency of folks who keep coming back who find our stuff who engage with that and that we keep going like that's why we're at four years and we love doing this and it's four it's been, more years, yeah. four <laughs> more years. <laughs> I, and that's what i was thinking alex is um and piggybacking off of what spice was saying a niche within a niche is that's one of the things that is about magic right like we talked about like community you can find these things like you can you can approach this is why magic continues to be for us or for me mm -hmm. such an important game like i don't get to play that much anymore but i'm still engaged with different communities just because i have these common interests and magic was a part of that um and there's these communities of cosplayers there's communities of podcasters there's people doing gameplay it, you can find it Oh, yeah. Absolutely. I mean, I I played my first game of Magic since the beginning of the, the pandemic about two months ago. So it's like I went almost two years being on this podcast, not playing Magic at all because I was still engaged with the community. And that was a big part of what being on this cast is for me. Mm. I think, I mean, it is, you know, the, I mean, the gathering is the subtitle, you know? Mm-hmm. Exactly. Yes, and, and the word the is supposed to be capitalized, as Aaron Forsyth likes to point out, but I still don't oh, agree with yeah, uh, that's what he says, and I still no, don't agree with wrong. it. Yeah, um, see, it's, it's fine. <laughs> no, <yeah. laughs> I think it's because the, the colon comes after magic. So, you know, like if you're spelling it out, oh, so the... Go on, I, d I did creative writing, not English literature. I don't know if that's correct. God I damn. don't either, but they, <laughs> they're the designers of the game. They claim it, whatever. I'm still uh -huh. lowercasing it. We're doing some quick hits as we're getting towards the end here. If Slowbad and Squee were forced to face off in gladiatorial combat, by some diabolical force, I do appreciate whoever threw that piece yeah. in there. What would you envision happening? Uh, I can't envision Squeed fighting back. Uh, I, you know what? I imagine if, like, slow bad, if he's forced to, forced to defend his friends, probably like cobbles together some kind of engine of destruction, destroys Squeed, Squeed comes back, slow bad keeps trying. Eventually, slow bad just looks up to the demon and shrugs, and the demon goes, We've been here for five hours. Fine. <laughs> you, both, you both get to go away. Wait, so they had a war? <laughs> They had a war, is what you're saying. <laughs> they knocked over a vase. It's the war of it's the war of the goblins. It's the war of the goblins. Yeah. Yeah. Um, okay. Do you think goblins, aside from those on Mercadia, which this person made a, a, a reference to, this is again from Marcos two underscore backup, represent proletariats or lupem proletariats, which is not going to be a word that I know, um, or none. 
Um, so this is the thing. It completely depends on the, uh, I'll answer this as quickly as possible. And this is something that comes up in um, my streams as well whenever I play a fantasy game and people still go, oh, these are the, these are the proletariat. It's like, okay, so the proletariat are a specific class that arise through capitalism. Uh, so if goblins represent, if goblins represent uh, the proletariat or the uh, Lupin proletariat, I can never say this right, Lupin proletariat, uh, which uh, was... Uh, I feel much better about myself right now. Oh yeah, so like uh, the long shot, the difference between the two, the proletariat is the working class, the Lupin proletariat are the uh, either the uh, class unconscious working class, so those uh, facets of like the, the working class who are actively... Uh, work against or um, have no understanding or interest in class struggle, um, or as other people have labeled them, you know, so like cri the uh, criminal element or so like the working class. But the, the term itself is used so, uh, frankly, uselessly that I don't think there's much, uh, much worth in like uh, discussing it more than a, uh, more than so like for a, a moment of time. But regardless, Goblins can only represent the working class, the proletariat, if they exist under a uh, mode of production that is equivalent to our understanding of capitalism. If our understanding of capitalism is not achieved, which I would argue is only present in one plane where there is simultaneously that mode of production and goblins, which, again, I would argue is the, uh, the goblin explosion is of uh, Bablovia, where we have commodity production, where we have mechanized production, where we have industry, where we have mass industry, where we obviously have um, an owning class. And even then, we uh, we can see old Buzzbark, who is allegedly, I would see as the leader of the Goblin Explosion, is a worker in of themselves, representative of uh, what we might argue would be uh, a syndicalist mode of production, uh, wherein the proletariat have seized power own the means of their own production and are being self-managed by proletariat. So you have a dictatorship of the proletariat within the goblin explosion is. Every other goblin only represents the proletariat if the mode of production of that plane is that of capitalism. Bam! That was it quickly. <laughs> I, th I feared we were going back to Ravnica. So, but, you know, I, I do appreciate the old Buzzbark because I would I would accept that dictator. Well, the, the, thing, the thing about Ravnica is that guild production, workshop production, was yes. a feature of feudalism and the process between, a protest, uh, process by which feudalism became capitalism. Bourgeois arose from the old guilds. Um, and so as such, Ravnica cannot be a capitalist mode of production because it still has guild and workshop production, which was a feature of uh, uh, feudalism. feudalism. So we're, maybe we were heading that way unless Cranko can stop it, basically. Unless Cranko, unless Cranko stops the coming of capitalism. Yeah. Um, brilliant. All right. It makes sense. <laughs> Revenica 4, the rise of capitalism is the, yeah. the next. <laughs> you know what? I'd get, I'd get involved in that narrative. That seems like a, a rollicking good time. Yeah, and I All could right. see the, the uh, Hasbro really approving this. Um, yeah. Hasbro, right on board with this. Absolutely. Right on board. Uh, we're going to do at Wobbles, what card do you want to see in Unfinity? I'm going to steal an answer because I don't know if you, know, if, if you were expecting this. We do know there's goblins on Unfinity. Uh, we have this kind of uh, carousel or uh, I guess, what, what's the word I'm looking for? Fair carnival type world. Um, yeah, festival carnival yeah. fairgrounds type thing. There's already a goblin family uh, that was spoiled in one of the arts that is like a, a dad and a mom pulling two kids. So I'm I feel represented on a card and I'm I'm good for infinity. So anything that either of you are looking for from infinity or nothing. I would 
I would say I am interested because I, I don't actually own a deck that has a goblin as a commander on it. And I don't think that we're going to get a legendary. Uh, I'm, I'm still not sold on the, uh, the was it the, the family Goblinson, Goblin family Goblinson or something along those yeah, lines? Yeah, 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 yeah. Um, yeah, uh, like I'm not really sold on them as a like a concept for a uh, for a commander, but what I would love to see would be a um, a goblin tutor um, that is legally playable in the black border. Obviously, if you watch my silver border video, the arguments are made there that you know you can use silver border in commander. It's just a matter of negotiating. Legality is a matter of negotiation in Magic the Gathering casual formats, and especially um, within EDH. Especially mm -hmm. with an EDH. But um, I would say I'd love to see a red tutor that is more goblin-y than gamble, uh, but not quite as uh, goblin-y as go the goblin tutor from I think. It was <laughs> okay, I was going to say, we have yeah. it. We have it. Yeah. <laughs> I would like to see a, gob a goblin, a, a, a red tutor that captures that feeling of goblins, which doesn't have the acorn holofall. That I would love to see. I was gonna. I was just laughing because to me, Goblin Tutor is completely, especially when you know. Obviously, card was made. Um, had no clue that Commander would be a thing. But you know, you have like one produces no result, but uh, one is number two on there is search for any Goblin Tutor. So, in a format where you can only have one of, you now have a third of your options do nothing. Brilliant. I do. Which love is that. Goblin like, but as you said, not a black bordered. I would, I would love to see something like, I don't know, when you cast a spell, flip a coin and roll a dice. And I don't know, if you win the flip, do this. If you roll higher than three, do that. That kind of stuff. Alex, anything for you for Unfinity? Because I, I, I don't know. know how much you've been paying attention. I've really not been paying attention. Um, I, I am reminded every time it comes up that, oh, yeah, that was delayed. And now I have no idea when it's coming out. Um, but between, as, as I mentioned in a previous episode back in, because of time travel, um, I am actively not engaging with magic story. Like I'm going out of my way to not be involved, to, to not see what's going on and not be part of that. Um, so I'm really not paying attention to the, the, the day to day, you know, moment to moment releases of, of which magic set came out this week and which one's coming out next week. So I am no, I have no idea. I, I'm sorry, I got no answer. I thought, yeah, I like, I thought that we, we talked a, a, a you know um, like four or five episodes ago because I have no concept of where we are really. Uh, but you tried to talk yourself into something sometimes, Alex, and that one didn't go anywhere, so we're okay. Brilliant. Yeah. Um, let's go with finally. Uh, oh, who is the most commie in all of MTG lore? That's that's what we're gonna end with because I want to know if there is somebody that you consider. Most car oh Kami. Sorry, Kami. I thought you meant Kami is in um uh, uh Neon Dynasty. Um, oh, okay. um I'm sorry, and then I realized that it could have sounded like Carney and we're just coming off of discussing the so, festival like world. See, so. this is, I mean this is the interesting thing. Um and the writer uh, uh Nia Frome actually like uh, uh, talks about this very, very definitely in um I think it's how piece called the switch or the swerve or something like that. Um but uh, effectively, what she posits is that within entertainment media, when the concept was like, you know, the system is broken, revolution is needed, that kind of stuff is broached, which is a very popular um, piece of, uh, sort of like a, a popular narrative to go down because, you know, the system is broken and stuff like that. Um, what exists in that is this switch where effectively the answer always points towards communism. The answer always points towards 
the democratic ownership of the means of production by the working class, a genuinely democratic mode of government. Um, uh, if you know, uh, if you look at it from a socialist perspective or an anarchist perspective, where obviously there uh, is no government, or uh, if there were a government, it is more of a, uh, a local administration and stuff like that. If there is a government at all, if there is any kind of structure there whatsoever, organisation, what have you. Um, and so, what exists is because the answer to the questions posed by the uh, posed by that piece of media point towards communism. There must always be at the last moment a hard left turn away from it and for some reason like i don't know you know like uh sort of the the sort of like the underground resistance leader in the hunger games suddenly at the last second becomes a child murdering uh monster who wants to redo the evils that uh the ruling class did to uh her people uh, right back to their children and so like it has to take a hard left turn from questioning and uh showcasing what new structure can be built through these revolutionary forces to oh it turns out everybody's evil or uh these were just evil people seeking power all the time and stuff like that so there's the the question of who is the most communist within magic unfortunately the people who demonstrate the most like communist ideals when it comes to like revolution like pnlr again at that last moment it goes from the very core of our world is rotten and we need to resolve it at the last moment it becomes and we have a better president. So like yeah. even, even things like that. So I'd say like, uh, if we're looking at the uh, pure ideal of communism, it's got to be the goblins of Lorwyn. But it's, that's a, that is a form of communism which exists in a pre-capitalist understanding of the world and not a post, uh, which is a very, very different way of looking at it because we can very easily point to a pre-capitalist uh, society and go, look how, look how good everything is there. But the question then becomes, well, how do we get there? And then, you know, uh, large corporations that have millions and millions of dollars of revenue start wringing their hands and go, well, we can't exactly have a character that's actually a communist. So um, we'll uh, vote with your wallet, I guess. And then, uh, and then do that. Yeah. <laughs> uh, well, thank you so much, Spice, for sitting with us for over two and a half hours. I mean, uh, doing three separate recording sessions with us on different days and times <laughs> nice, nice, accounting nice. for uh zones and everything this has Nailed been a labor it. of love that you've been you've poured months of your your life into and, and there is always it. value in labor yes there is there is value in labor value in labor and nobility in labor anything you want to end with or just final um, parting thoughts i i think and this is something actually i do want to um i do want to say and it doesn't really have much to do with goblins or communism but it's more to do with because the question of how I started making videos came up, and I, I get that question a couple. I get that question a reasonable amount in my, you know, like Twitter DMs when I remember to check my um uh the ones that come to me from people who I don't follow, um, and in emails and in comments and stuff like that on my YouTube videos. And the question is like, well, how do I start? And I I really want to like, if anyone's listening to this who wants to make videos, do it, but don't do it with the aim of making this your thing. Do it with the aim of, I want to have a good time. I want to put something out into the world that I want to see in the world, because that's what I did. And it worked for me, but I'm not saying do that because it worked for me. I'm saying do that because if it didn't work for me, if my Goblin video never kicked off, if I, I don't, if I stayed at 200 subscribers, I would have been perfectly, perfectly happy just making my occasional funny little video. And I would, it would have been a really nice thing for me to do. I would have felt great about that. But if I'd have gone into it wanting to be like, and this is going to be my full-time gig, there's... I, I would have gone about it in completely different ways. I would have tried to like game an algorithm or something like that. And I would have had a miserable time of it. 
Um, so if you are, if you do want to make Magic the Gathering stuff, Magic the Gathering content, do it for the love of it, or any kind of content, do it for the love of it and not for the eventual aim. Um, because at that point you are engaging in commodity production without the actual material benefit of engaging in commodity production. You are self-alienating yourself from the fruits of your labor before you even have fruits from that labor. Um, so that would be my that would be my advice, and that's the kind of thing I want to end on. Do stuff for the love of it, um, balls to the value. And that's our show for today. You can find both of the hosts on Twitter. Hobbs can be found at HobbsQ, and Alex can be found at Mel underscore Chronicler. Feel free to send us any questions, comments, thoughts, hopes, and dreams to GoblinLorePod on Twitter, or email us at GoblinLorePodcast at gmail.com. If you would like to support your friendly neighborhood gobslugs, to our link tree on our Twitter account and list it in our show notes. This has everything from our discounts for the Grinding Coffee Company to our Patreon. The music for today's show was by Vindergotten, who can be found at Vindergotten at badcamp.com. The art was done by Stephen Raphael, who can be found at Steve Raffle on Twitter. Goblin Lore is proud to be presented by Hipsters of the Coast as part of their growing Vorthos content. Check them out on Twitter at HipstersMTG or online at HipstersOfTheCoast.com. Thank you for listening. And remember, goblins, like snowflakes, are only dangerous in numbers. <laughs>